0: All right. If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to open with me to the, to the Old Testament, not New Testament, Old Testament book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 107 today, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. Psalm 107 and verse 1, and it struck me this past week as I was preparing this message that, you know, every year around Thanksgiving, we try I try to do at least one message where we talk about the giving of thanks, having a, an attitude of gratitude and, and things like that. And that, that's not what surprised me, but what did surprise me as I began to think about all this was how many of those, how many of those sermons were drawn from texts that are found in the book of Psalms. And I got to thinking about it, and, and really that shouldn't be a surprise because many times when we want to thank or praise God, our natural response isn't to talk to Him. Our natural response isn't to pen a letter to God, but instead what we usually do is, is we express ourselves through Psalms. And so it shouldn't be any, uh, any surprise that much of the language that talks about thankfulness, of praising God, and things like that is found in the Psalter because the book of Psalms was the Old Testament. It was, it was the Israelite Baptist hymnal. And so they would use it in their worship services, they would sing these songs. And so what's, uh, what we're going to look at today is a song that tells us to praise God. Now, we're not going to look at the whole psalm, it's pretty lengthy, it's 43 verses. We're going to focus on three, and we're going to have trouble getting through all three of those in a timely manner. So I'm not going to go through all 43 verses. I would encourage you to uh, look at those at home sometime. But one of the things I find interesting about this psalm is it doesn't have any kind of superscription. It doesn't have a title or any kind of historical information that tells us why this psalm was written. And you say, well, that's not that big a deal, but, but if you notice throughout the book of Psalms, Sometimes we have what are called songs of ascent, so we know that they were sung as as the pilgrims would go up to Jerusalem, to the to, to the Passover and stuff like that. We have psalms that uh, it would say uh, this was a song that David wrote whenever uh, Saul was chasing him. Okay, so we we have different historical contexts, but this one doesn't have anything, and that's not unique to this song. But but I think it's important because it tells us about Israel's history, and some people believe that that this song talks about. God's dealings with Israel as they uh, escaped Egyptian bondage and got into the Promised Land, they wandered in the in the wilderness and so on and so forth. Other people say, no, this was a song that was written to call people that, re, that were returning from the Babylonian uh, uh, exile, it, it, as they returned home, this is a song that would call them to praise God for His goodness. And I think like many biblical scholars that this probably was a song that was originally written to talk about God's dealing with Israel in the Exodus, and it was repackaged, if you will, to be sung later with the Babylonian captives as they returned back to their homeland. And I, I think we can identify with that because many times we look at the scriptures, and even though uh, the, the Bible was written in a certain historical context, sometimes we look at, at, the well, many times we look at these things, and even though we're not in the same historical context, it speaks right to us, doesn't it? Now it has a, a meaning that's determined by uh, the, the the intent of the author, but as we look at those things, even though we may be in a very different place in history, a very different place geographically, it still is a timely message for us and that's that, that's why I see this song as it's 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 a message for us today and, and and it calls us as the redeemed people in Christ to praise him now as I said we're going to pick up in verse one, so if you found psalm one o seven I'd encourage you to stand if you're able we'll, we'll just read the first three verses. The psalm says, "O oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his lovingkindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the land of, from the hand of the adversary, and gather from the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Thank you, you may be seated Now as we begin to look at this song I, I, I think there are three things I want to draw out for you The first thing that I want you to see in our text is that we should actually be thankful to God. we should be giving thanks to God now now what are the first few words of the song? It says, "Oh, give thanks to the Lord." now I don't know about you but I'm, I'm not real bright sometimes, but even I can understand that I mean it is hard to misunderstand what the song uh, what the psalmist is saying he says oh give thanks to the lord and i say that it's hard to, to to misunderstand because many times and i talked about this a while back many times we as christians we say oh i just wish i knew what god's will for my life was i just wish i knew what god would say if he would just put it down in black and white i could i could know it i could do it i could understand that well here you go he says oh give thanks to the lord now that is a direct statement. That is that that is again hard to miss. We are called to give thanks. We know we should be given thanks. We have a lot to be thankful for, and we know that. But many times we fail to do this very first and very simple thing. Many times we're, frankly, we're just not thankful to God. We have good in our lives, but we don't thank God for it. And I I, I think there are all kinds of reasons why sometimes we're we're not thankful to God because well, we're, we're going through a rough patch in life. I mean, we, we go through a season where things just aren't going right. I mean, we can't catch a break. We keep, you know, we got a flat tire. Then we got written up at work because we were late. And the, the kids got sick. Then we had to do this. We had to do that. And it seems like everything is going against us. And in those times, it's hard to stop and just say, thank you, God. Right? Now, the, the word that's rendered give thanks, that word thanks, it has the idea of hands that are lifted up in praise to God. He says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Sometimes we go through those through those difficult seasons. Sometimes we're having a bad day and we confuse a bad day for a bad life. You ever been there? I mean, we, we get down in the dumps. And if you talk to us on any normal day, we may be up here. But on, a, on any uh, given day, if we're down in the dumps, we're way down here. And we're like Eeyore, right? I mean, we're like Eeyore's depressed cousin. It is, everything's bad, everything's against us, the man's keeping us down, I mean, it's just bad in life. And sometimes we, we confuse a bad day for a bad life. And sometimes, what's really bad is we're, when we're in those, in those down times, we go to church. Now church is one of the best places you can go whenever you're down, because we, we get our focus off of us, we get our, get our focus off of our problems, and we get on to God where it should be. But many times we, we go to church and we feel down. I mean, we're, we're just down, we're, we're unhappy, things are going against us, and we look around, everybody's smiling. It seems like everybody's praising God, they're happy, they're thankful. And so what do we do? We say, oh, well, I don't want people to think I'm unspiritual. So what do we do? We put on a facade. Oh, hey, brother, how are you doing? Hey, sister. And we, we smile, we give hugs, we shake hands. And on the inside, we're not feeling it at all. I mean we it, it, on the inside we're 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 just down in the dumps. We're we're unhappy, we're unthankful to God. How many of you ever go around the table at Thanksgiving and say at least one thing you're thankful for? Anybody ever done that? All of us have done it at some point. Now, I've had times and this is a time of confession, I guess. I've had times when it's gotten to me and I didn't I didn't have I, I didn't feel thankful at that particular time. And so maybe you've gone into a situation like that, or maybe you've been to like five different Thanksgivings, and you get to your fifth one, and it's like, I can't think of anything new to say, which you could if you just think about it for a minute. But, but you get there, and you don't want to, to kind of throw off the flow. And so what you do is, is they're coming to you, and you know you got to say something, so you come up with a, a Sunday school answer. And so you, you'll say that, but in your heart, you're not really being thankful to God. Now, it's kind of ridiculous sometimes, well, most of the time, for us to 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 feel like that, because many of us, we have our health. I mean, even if we have our health, the car's running good, we have money in the bank, the family's doing well, everybody's getting along at work, everybody's getting along at church, things are generally good, but sometimes we just don't feel thankful. But what does the psalmist say? He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Many times we're like those, those nine lepers. You remember Jesus healed ten of them? Only one of them came back to say thank you. Many times we're like the nine. We, we, we receive the benefit, we receive the blessing, and then we just go about our way and are happy about it, but we're not thankful. But listen, if you are a child of God, you should be thanking God. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now again, I want you to notice what he says because we're going to work our way through this pretty slowly. Because I want you to notice he doesn't say, oh, have a general feeling of gratitude towards an undirected set of circumstances. He doesn't say, he doesn't say oh, give thanks to the universe. What does he say? He says, give thanks to the Lord. Now if you'll notice in your Bible, that word Lord is in all caps. When it's in all caps, that is the translator's way when they go into English. That's the translator's way of showing you that is the proper name of God. That's Yahweh. That's Jehovah. Now, he doesn't say, oh, give thanks to any old God that you may worship in any any foreign lands." He says, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to Yahweh, to Jehovah. Now, around this time, I've got to confess again. Around this time... I hear all kinds of unbelievers who say they're thankful. To me, that does not make sense at all. Because when we are thankful, our thanks should be directed towards an object. Now, now I know the dictionary definition says that thanks can just be uh, being happy and acknowledgement of a benefit. But what I'm saying is if you're actually thankful, you're thankful towards an object. And we should be thankful towards the object of the good in our lives. So what I'm saying is, for instance, I don't go out, and I, I'm not thankful to a rock for my family, right? I'm not thankful to a blade of grass for direction in my life. Jason, I appreciate you, but I'm not thankful to you for a meal that Scarlet makes. Why? Because you didn't do it. A rock didn't do it. A blade of grass didn't do it. The universe didn't do it. It wasn't set of circumstances. It's God. He is the one that directs those things. He's the source of good in our lives. So we need to be thankful to the lord it's not it's not just mere chance in an uncaring undirected materialistic universe it's god he is at work in our lives we should be thankful to him oh give thanks to the lord why verse one for because he's good he is good you remember somebody came to jesus that rich young ruler and he said good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life what jesus say Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. God is the only one who is truly good. Goodness is His nature. Goodness is who He is. Now we may act good, but we're not good in our nature. He is good in His nature. He is good in what He does. And how does that goodness show itself? We'll look at the end of verse 1. For His loving kindness, His mercy is everlasting. Now when we talk about mercy, we have a pretty narrow definition of it where we are not giving a guilty party what they deserve. We're showing mercy to that person. But the Hebrew word is that word hesed. And, and it has the, the idea of a loyal, covenant-keeping, faithful character and nature of God. And aren't you glad God's faithful to you even when you're not faithful to Him? Because many times we, in, we don't deny Him with our words, but sometimes we deny Him with our lives. He's still faithful to us. Aren't you glad that, that he shows you love and, and mercy when you don't deserve it? You get yourself in a situation, and it's your own doing, and he still shows you that mercy. You find yourself in, in a situation again, and you swear, I'm not going to do this again. It's not but a couple days, maybe even a couple minutes later, and you're doing the same thing again. And God still shows you that love, that mercy, that loving kindness. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. It keeps going. As one preacher I heard said it, he has more mercy than we have mess. And I thought that was a good way to summarize that. So the first thing that I want you to see is that we should actually give thanks to the Lord. The second thing I want you to see is that if you're redeemed, the least you can do is say so. If you're redeemed, the least you can do is say so. Now again, I want you to notice in verse 2, that we are called to verbalize. We're called to verbalize. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Many times I think we're content just to feel thankful, but not to say thankful. You no, know, we're, we're, we're content to, to feel it, but not say it. Now, what's this business about being redeemed? Well, again, in its original context, it likely has the idea of, of God delivering his people from the Egyptian bondage, delivering them from exile in Babylon. But this would apply more broadly to to any of the emergencies that God has redeemed his people from, especially, I believe it refers to the redemption found in Christ. Now, when we think of redemption, of being redeemed, we think of it purely in terms of salvation, and there's good reason for that. But this word, redeem, it had a specific meaning. Because in the Old Testament law, Moses told the people at God's direction what a redeemer was to do. And a, a, a redeemer had a few, different, uh, a few different roles in the Old Testament. So for instance, if there was a person and they got murdered, it was the duty of the next of kin to prosecute that murderer, to, to avenge, that, to avenge that, that wrongful death. It started out with the brothers were responsible and then went to the father's the fathers' brothers, the uncles, then went to the cousins and so on and so forth down the line, but it had to be somebody who was blood relation. And it, it was that person who prosecuted the murder and that, that person who prosecuted the murder was called the Redeemer. One of the things also that a Redeemer did was if a person was, maybe they got into debt and they couldn't pay their debt, they didn't have chapter 13 bankruptcy what they would do is they, they sold themselves into slavery to pay off that debt. And so it could be that somebody, because of, of debt or something else, they, they would sell themselves into into bondage. They, they were a slave. Or maybe that person had to sell some of their inheritance, some of the land that they had been given, to somebody outside the family. So what a redeemer did, a kinsman redeemer, and, and if you're familiar with the story of Ruth, Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. What that person did was he would buy the freedom of that person who was in bondage. Or he would buy back that inheritance. And the person that did that was called the Redeemer. And throughout time, uh, this word Redeemer was associated with God. And God was called the Redeemer. And it was associated with this idea of salvation. For instance, in Isaiah 49, verse 26... Uh, part of what it says, the last part says, and all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Now, what has Christ done for us? Well, He has redeemed us from the hand of the adversary. He's like that kinsman redeemer. He, he, he comes in, he, he, He's a blood relative, so to speak. Remember, in the incarnation, Jesus took on human flesh, He took on the weaknesses, the limitations of humanity. Hebrews chapter two verse fourteen says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, in other words, he's talking about humans, since we share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So he has he has a right to redeem, he has the ability and resources to redeem. And we have an adversary, the devil, the Bible says who is a murderer from the beginning. All that you can get from the devil is death, but, but what you get from Jesus is life everlasting. But not only did he not only did he go after the murderer, the one who 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 the only thing we can get from him is death, but he also brought freedom from bondage. Jesus said in, I believe it's in John chapter 8, that the one who sins is a slave to sin, but the one that the Son sets free, what? He is free indeed. He brought freedom. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 6. In Christ, we are free from the bondage of sin. And He's he's secure for us an inheritance undefiled in heaven. He is our Redeemer. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And then the last thing that I want you to see is that Christ has redeemed a people from all over the world. He has redeemed a people from all over the world the world. Now the psalmist says that, look at verse 3 it speaks of the, the redeemed that he's uh, been redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south he has redeemed us from the hand of the adversary now Jesus talks about doing that very thing in the gospels. The image that he uses is that of, of plundering a strong man's house now, if you're familiar with that, with that terminology, many times we say, well, who's the strong man? Our, our knee-jerk reaction is to say Jesus is the strong man. But in that, in, that, in that little parable, that little teaching, the strong man is the one that's bound. Jesus is in the strong man. The context of that is Jesus is, is freeing people from the, the bondage of Satan. And people are fussing at Jesus for doing it. And Jesus says, you can't, you can't plunder a strong man's house unless you first bind him. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm coming in on a full frontal attack. The devil has, has people in his sway, in his power, and I'm coming in, I'm freeing them. I'm, you know, sometimes we, you ever watch those old war movies? I like watching the war movies. And you know, I like watching them sneak around out in the jungle or wherever it is, do the, the, the covert ops. Jesus didn't do any co- covert ops. He's a full frontal attack, and the devil knows what's coming at him. But the devil is powerless to stop him. He is coming in and he is freeing people from the devil. He's redeeming them. And look where he gathers this people from in verse 3. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, there is nowhere that's beyond his saving power. He's drawing people from the north, and the east, and the south, and the west. And I don't know any other direction, do you? He, he's, he's drawing people from all over the world. And I'm glad his saving power didn't stop at the Mississippi River. I'm glad his saving power didn't stop at Main Street. I'm glad his saving power reaches all the way out here to southwest Missouri. And listen, this may be a word that you need to hear. I want to tell you this morning that that you are not beyond Christ's saving power, you are not outside of his reach. It could be that there's somebody here listening today. It could be that there's somebody that's going to listen later on down the road on the internet or in CD or some, some other form. You are not outside of Christ's power to save. You say, oh, but, but preacher, you don't understand. I've done so much. Well, Jesus knew all about it when he went to the cross. It's not a new thing. It's not a surprise to him. And the Bible says that if you'll put your faith in him, he will save you. Whoever will may come. And salvation is found in in no one else but Jesus Christ. Jesus said, there's no way to the Father except through me. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, bow the knee to Him today. And I know even as I say that, that many of us have done that. We did it maybe years and years ago. We are the redeemed of the Lord that the psalmist talks about. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, I think it's a sad thing when when Christians don't have a testimony. I'm not saying that I'm not talking about a a a testimony that you've written out and rehearsed and and things like that. That that may be a, a good thing to do. But sometimes we don't recognize God's goodness in our lives. That if we would just look at things and say, Oh, but if God hadn't been with me, I wouldn't have made it. If God hadn't been with me, he hadn't worked in that situation, I wouldn't have made it. Or if you do recognize that, you don't bother to tell anybody. You don't give voice to it. Let the redeemed of the Lord not just feel it. Say it. Say so. Now, this week, some of you probably have already gotten some of your Thanksgiving meals and stuff done. But this week, most of us are probably going to have some kind of a Thanksgiving get-together. And I know that in that time, trying to get everything all clean, trying to get everything cooked, prepared, sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we're like that family. I've told it before about uh, this family had some, some folks over. And it was one of those hectic days. You know how it is. People coming over, you got all the stuff to do and not enough time to do it. Finally, they sat down to a the meal, they had a little daughter. Said, once you ask the blessing, she said, Well, I don't know what to say. And mom said, Well, you just you just say what you hear mommy say. They all bowed their head in the silence of that time. Little girl said, Oh God, why did I invite these people over? <laughs> sometimes Sometimes it's like that, isn't it? And in the in the In that moment, when we're dealing with all of the stuff, trying to get things clean, shoved in drawers, in rooms, get the door shut so nobody can see it, it's it's tempting during that time to not be thankful. It's tempting during that time to to be so caught up in all the stuff that you don't really recognize the good that God's given you. It's difficult to get our eyes off of those things. Or maybe if you're in a bad situation, a health situation, family, vehicles, work, whatever it is, it's easy to focus on the problems instead of the one who can solve the problems. And I encourage you this week as, as you meet together, amid all the cooking and the cleaning and the political conversations and all the stuff that you have to actually give thanks to the Lord. want to stand with me as musicians come. as you stand, ask you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, again, I'm not here to beat anybody up. Because the giving of thanks should not be a burden. It's not another chore that we have to do. It's not that we have to put on our list and say, well... I'm not a good Christian until I've checked off this box. It should be a natural reaction to God's work in our lives, to God's presence in our lives, to his character. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. His mercy is his loving kindness is everlasting. Say, so, well, I got a lot of mess, as that one preacher said, and I wish it was original to me. He's got more mercy than you got mess. Maybe you're thankful, but you're content to feel it. you won't ever say it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Do people that you work with know that you're a Christian? By the things you say, by the way that you act, by the stories and jokes you tell? Our Heavenly Father, we know that there is so much trial and trouble and difficulty in this life. And sometimes we get to the point where we don't feel that we can be thankful. We don't have anything for which to be thankful. And maybe if we're a believer, the only thing we can hold on to and say thank you for is the fact that we are part of the redeemed that you've saved us when we didn't deserve it, that you've secured an inheritance for us undefiled in heaven. And that one day, these things that we're experiencing, they will pass. They may even go on to the end of our lives. But eternity is a long time. God, I pray that you would help each of us to recognize the goodness that you've brought to our lives. Our friends, our families, the freedom that we have to worship you, the availability of the scriptures, your spirit which comforts and guides us, our church family that we can have fellowship with, running water, electricity, money in the bank. I mean, we just, when we count our blessings, it's overwhelming. God, help us to be, help us to recognize those things. And Lord, for that person maybe who's not in the redeemed as of yet, they've never repented of their sin, they've never bowed the knee to Christ, I pray that you would draw them today. Let them become your child. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.